Just in Annapolis Center, do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, alter right, and really moving. Right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. But first, girls, you better sit down. You better start fanning yourself because they're bad news. Very famous one one is not here. He has relocated across the puddle to the U.K. He's going to be joining us next week, though. Next week, girls. So if you can hang on. This might help you hang on because up there in his bunker, Compound, I mean, formerly a bunker up there in the great state of Maine, is Commander Cobra. Coco, how are you? Good evening, Mac, and it's nice to know that uh, one one has been in the new country, mm-hmm. the old country, and the queen is still safe. As far as we know. He loves the queen. He's in love with the queen. He's never expressed that to you over a couple of Bud Lights? Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay. Um, also, joining us is our favorite good witch up there in Sideways in the Eye. The very lovely Raven is here with us tonight. Raven, how are you? Raven. Hello, my friends. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You look great. Thank you. Might be the IPA kicking in, but I think either way. How are things with you? Everything okay there? Good in the hood, as good they in the hood. say. Super dope. That's what we just want to hear. Talking about the hood, my old friend from the hood, Agent X, the man who works for the agency, that works for the agencies. X. Hello, Mac, and thanks for having me. And the only reason that uh, JJ loves the Queen is because he was subjected to a 36-hour marathon of Downtown Abbey. Sorry, Downtown Abbey. <laughs> it was only 36 hours? Anyway, so um, now why don't we go to our uh, special guest tonight, our good friend Phil O'Banes. Phil, how are you doing tonight? Phil, let's give him a uh, round of applause because he's the... Hey, Phil. I'm fine, and it's great to be in the company of your fine uh, and prestigious panel. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have, did you hear that, kids? We're fine and prestigious. How's things uh, with you down there in Magnolia where all the rich people live there, Phil? Well, everything is uh, pretty good. I got my most of my garden planted. That was a big chore this year because mm-hmm. winter was destructive down here. Yep. Yeah, it's a bad winter. A lot of winds. A lot of wind this winter. A lot of winds. A lot of shingles went flying off my roof. Not to talk uh, real local, but uh, the last weekend in this area, it was up to 90 and 95 over the weekend. However, I don't know how it was where you are, Phil, but where we were, it never went above 65 degrees, and we were socked in fog the entire yep, two days. Here. Yep. We, we went to um, <clears throat> have uh, lunch with some of the family in Tewksbury, where it was 92 on Sunday. We got mm-hmm. home 66 yeah, and foggy. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Really? So, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. Really big, huge difference. Yeah, just driving up to Newport, you could tell. It was a 20-degree temperature change easily. And we just, oh, and a lot of people at the beach, but they were sitting there in the fog, baby. Anyway. 
So, Phil, you're with us tonight because we're going to do a top ten list later on in the show. Top ten spies ever. Um, we did a little off, uh, you know, off the radio uh, research in this. They're always fascinating. Spy stories are always fascinating to me because they always have a great ending usually. And usually the people are just like insanely courageous or they're doing it for reasons that sometimes you can't believe. But anyway, we're going to do top ten spies tonight. And, also, and they're all different. That's the thing that's so mm-hmm. cool about spy stories. Right. None of them come out of a cookie cutter. Right. And the motivations, are, like I said earlier, the motivations are sometimes not what you think, you know? I know that there was some spy, U.S. spy, all he wanted to do was buy a boat, you know? So he, like, turned in, you know, the files from the FBI and stuff. But anyway, we'll be doing that later on in the show. Also, we're going to be talking with Cobra about this thing that we saw the other day that um, it turns out that the – the story of UFOs swarming over um, Navy ships off of uh, the Southern California coast in 2019, a lot of footage of it, a lot of uh, reporting on it. It turns out now the Navy is saying that they were, in fact, drones, not UFOs, but that just opens up a bigger question because these drones were tracking these ships for a long time, way out to sea. You know, who is controlling them? We don't know. But we'll find out. Uh, also, Raven is going to uh, be talking to us about a creepy story called Dear David and also, 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 Tonight we're going to be picking the winners out of the Magic Fishbowl of the Ask Raven 5 Questions Contest. Let me tell you something. The mailbags were overflowing, even though everything was in email. There were so many uh, entries that we have to pick three winners. Okay, three winners. Can you, uh, how about 15 questions, Raven, from three different fans? You up for that? Um. Yeah, why not? Uh-oh, there was a little hesitation there, no? Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I had to do the math in my head for a second. Variables there. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, so why don't we do this? We do have a top 10 list, and of course, it's about JJ. So uh, you have it, Raven, right? Top 10? I have it. Okay. Well, <clears throat> and what is it again? What's the Excuse title me. again? I haven't seen this it. This is Top 10 Examples of Culture Shock Juan Juan has experienced since moving to England. Okay. Now, Juan Juan moved to England less than a week ago. So this is the top 10 uh, cultural shock experiences that he has um, endured in less than a week. Please, number 10, Raven. Start the music. All right. Uh, start the music. Number 10. Uh, he's already been issued a summons for distur- for disturbing behavior outside Lily James's London townhouse. And that was during the ride-in from the airport. Okay, so he's already done. <laughs> okay, number nine. This will go quick. Here we go. Number nine. He keeps having a dream about waking up in Prince Andrew's bed with the severed heads of 73 stuffed teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the show. Oh, those about a month poor ago. Okay. Right, the well, it's a little bit of inside yes. hockey there. Next, please, right? Eight. Um, he was arrested for trying to buy a toothbrush. Well, see, that's not right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's we love the British. Well done. Yeah. Right, go on, please, right? Number seven, he missed a dental appointment to stain and crack his teeth so he could better assimilate. I see, once again, you know, I think they <laughs> put up with their poor. It goes from good to better. There we go. Please, Raven, number... Uh, number six. six. Um, he found out real quick that in England, fags means cigarettes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I was expecting a little more than that, kids. Okay. Playing a hard room tonight. Yeah, right. Tough crowd. Uh, this is the top 10 cultural shock things that Juan Juan has gone to since moving to the UK, and he's only been there less than a week. Please, Raven. Number five, he got into a huge argument with a waiter over the uneven ratio of his bangers to mash. <laughs> what is, that is sausage and mashed potatoes? Yes. That's what bangers yes. are? Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, next, please, right? Uh, number four, he's starting to believe that Bob may indeed be his uncle. 
again, no, we inside get that. No, no, hang, uh, hang no, we're not talking about Bob the Ghost. We're talking about in in England. There's a saying: "Bob's your uncle." Bob, ever hear that? Bob's your uncle. Oh yeah. I know. Only Larry is the one who told me, and I guess it means, okay, we're wrapped up here or something, or there you go or whatever. Bob's your uncle. It's a real British thing. Okay, next, please, uh, Ray. Um, three. Uh, he's bought a guitar, grown his hair long, written some songs, and plans to move to Liverpool to start a band called the Ants. The Ants. <laughs> Been talking about it for years. Uh, next, please, Ray. Uh-oh. Number two. There he is. Um, Go ahead. Number two. He still can't figure out that if she's the good queen, then what's the ugly queen look like? Ooh, yeah. Uh, hey, that's. Uh, I just don't think that's good, Cricket. Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. Okay. Yeah, Bob's your uncle for sure. Thank you, Phil. I can only stay on the net so long holding the ball waiting for someone. I, I, I was waiting. Yeah. Can you do number two again, please, Raven? I was on. <laughs> sure. Um, he still can't figure out that if she's the good queen, then what's the ugly queen oh, look like? Right. Okay. Once again, we love our British listeners. We really do. So uh, the top 10 uh, culture shock things that um, one one has endured since moving to the UK less than a week ago. Are we down to number one? Mm-hmm. Okay, please. Number one. Um, mm-hmm. He still can't find a train schedule to Ireland. Oh, yeah, but he's, he's not going to give up. <laughs> he's working on it. He's working on uh, it. You know, it'll be fun back for the uh, the great listeners of uh, UK, especially those in the uh, in, in Britain now that are enduring, to uh, write into you what they're enduring, oh. what their top ten is. It'd be nice to get a little okay. email activity from the uh, citizens of England, what they've are adjusting with all flowers. Mr. Nappies and bangers and his smash. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's already uh, been in touch. He's, uh, he, he likes the food oddly enough. And, um, as I said, has he, he looks- tried spotted dick yet? I <laughs> no, mean, here or there? People don't laugh at my face. bringing up like old chargers or something. I wasn't no, no, sure. No, it's a going okay. All right. <laughs> I hate to say it, but no one laughs at my fags uh, thing. But now we're laughing at Spotted Dick. Is that what's going on? Is that where we are as a yes, show? As that's a how that's working. That's, okay. This is the, the mood of the room. The temperature's shifting by the second. It's sort of like this weekend where it was, you know, sixty-six in fog in one place and ninety-two. Someplace yeah. All right. Else. Okay. Yeah. Raven is uh, naughty, so it must be true. What is interesting is when I was nineteen years old uh-huh. and I was traveling from London to Dublin, Ireland. I brought bought my ticket on Brit Rail. I think it was called Brit Rail. But you bought a, a railroad ticket, and that included the ferry to get you there. Really? And then the other train to get you from um, uh, Rosslare. I can't remember where it was from in Ireland up to Dublin. Well, I do remember that in the 50s, they had trains that got on the barge and would go to the continent. Oh, and you stayed in the rail car hmm. on the barge, on the boat. Good point. I forgot about that. Yeah. We're talking- so, you know, we, we mock one one. Yes. Only because we love. Yes, right. Oh, yeah, we kid because we love. So anyway, while there's the top 10 list, that's out of the way. So why don't we take a commercial break now, and we'll be right back with the uh, top 10 uh, most famous best spies ever in history. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. We've all heard of Area 51, the U.S. government's top secret base in the Nevada desert. But have you ever heard of Area 52 or 53 or 54? 54? How about Tonopar Test Range or the Navy's secret base inside the Bermuda Triangle? Find out about them and more in Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. 
Did Richard Nixon show Jackie Gleason a crashed alien spaceship near the swamps of Florida? Is it true that more UFOs are seen over a small Scottish village than anywhere else in the world? And is there a secret place in Russia that some people think is heaven on earth? In Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, you'll visit more than a dozen top secret places around the globe. The haunted forests of New Jersey. A valley in Colorado where shadows come alive and humans can fly without wings. And where's the only secret base in America that's not been visited by UFOs? You've heard Mac talk all about these places on his radio show. Now you can read all about them yourself. That's Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Now on sale at Amazon. show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, what a show we have for you tonight. Let me introduce you to the gang here. The Palacio tonight. Coco is here up there in Maine. Cece, everything cool with you? On the wing. Lie to be erect. Good, good, good. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Raven is with us. I favorite good witch. I'm sideways now. Raven, how are you doing? Hello, my friends. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Are you going to get a spring tune-up on your hairdo? Is that something? Is that a girl secret you don't want to tell us? I don't know. The girls do that? I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> And you're asking the wrong people. That's because you do it, man. You're asking the wrong girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Uh, also welcome. with us is uh, Agent X, the man who works for the agency that works for the agencies. X, how you doing? Great, and it's super to be here is with it? this. I like the word panel. That sounds yeah, very yeah, someone, distinguished. Someone did say panel. Um, <laughs> also with us is our good friend Phil O'Bain, out there in uh, back. Magnolia, Massachusetts, out in Gloucester beautiful part of the world. Uh, Phil is uh, the uh, past president of um, Winning Moves, which is a um, company that makes games. A lot of the games that you play, uh, different kinds of Monopoly, they do the Ouija board and uh, shoots and ladders and so on and so forth. Right, Phil? Right. The sophisticated um, games that we all play our entire life, like Candyland. Candyland. <laughs> okay. All right. What's... No, but, but Risk and Clue we play for a long time. Risk and so we Clue. We like those, yep. too. Are they your? Uh, is that the biggest seller, Risk and Clue? Um, they sell Clue sells very, very well. Uh, but I think among the classic family games, um, Monopoly, the nineteen eighties edition, is the biggest seller. That's mm. the one that looks just like the game you played when you were a little kid. Oh wow! Interesting. Huh? Yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, let me just introduce real quick a uh, friend of the show, and our literary agent Jim Franco is here, and we have to clap for him because if we don't. I'll get some kind of a snacky email. Jim, Jim how you doing? From the, Met, from the Mets, apparently. How you doing there, Jim? I'm good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. We're holding down the, the the fort here in the in the southern part of the uh, of the podcast mm-hmm. in North Carolina. Someone has Excuse to do me, it. I should have said in North Carolina. Okay. All right. And uh, I think you're uh, you're getting that Jimmy Buffett look. I think you really got it now. You're very close to the Jimmy Buffett look. <laughs> Hmm? I'll never be in Margaritaville. You don't think never. so? No, never been there. I'll never be there. Yeah. I've never had a margarita. How weird is that? That is weird. Yeah. Just never had an occasion to have Well, a you've margarita. never had a margarita 
but you've had all the components of a margarita separately over time. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, but I've never had them all together like that. You, should have, you should have it all put together in one cup. It's <laughs> delightful. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It, looks, it looks delightful. When people who drink them turn into delightful human beings. I just want to ask, as a, as a guy that doesn't drink liquor, I mean, I drink beer, oh, but I don't drink liquor. I always thought Long, Long Island iced tea was a, a girl's drink. Am I wrong about that? It's not a girl's. It's funny that it would come from the man who referred to his beer when he comes to my compound. Do you have any skinny girl beers? Yeah, well, he did, uh, he did say that. I, I was there when he said that. Yes, that's true. Yes, yes. Uh, one has to one has to protect one's girlish figure. Well, you're not doing that good of a job of it, uh, X. If I know. I heard about your friends that, can uh, tell you that. Let's I heard about that, Tubbs. What are the fu- <laughs> Tubbs? Excuse me, Tubbs. Yeah, yeah. I'm not Tubbs there. I'm the other guy. Who was the other guy on Miami Vice? Pubs and Crockett. I'm Crockett them. Yeah, right. Well done. Yeah, good. Of course, then there's then there's Arnold Palmer's, which are not alcoholic. Not alcohol. They had trouble getting one because they thought it had alcohol in it. And I said, no, no, it's just lemonade and iced tea. Uh, what's in the Long Island iced tea, though? It's rum, really? gin. How do they make it? They, they, they add five liquors together that taste like Long Island and that, that tastes like iced tea. And, and that's they, the they problem. neutralize out, so it just tastes like a, a lightly sweet iced tea, right. you know, on ice. And it completely, I mean, it is a devastating. Yeah, if someone gives it to you and you're, and you're thirsty, like you said, you know, I've gone to, I went oh, to yeah, a bar once in there. You're perspiring just a little bit with any kind of heat and you're slamming those, you know, they're going down way too easy. You think that's some of the other stuff, you know, it, it's got the little speed brake that's going down your throat and you're getting a reminder, you know, you're screwing yourself up here. <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, Arnold Palmer makes uh, royalty on every Arnold Palmer that's sold or something. He's he branded that. No, no, he can't. That that's impossible. That's, he's making some. Mixed by bars all over the place. But he bo- no, he bottles it. He bottles some version of it that he makes. Well, money. that's different. That's different. Like he needs but, more money. Anyway, the homemade Arnold Palmer is just you know. <laughs> what? Just what it is? Why are we suddenly dumping I, I, on I Arnold hate Palmer? When you put down fellow coasties. Fellow what? Oh, he was in the Coast Guard. Arnold, sure. Arnold Palmer was in the Coast Guard. Yes, huh? As well as Sid and Julius Caesar, well, another Tibet player. Too bad Popeye wasn't in the Coast Guard, did too. But listen, there's another. One. That was such a good <laughs> argument. The story for another night. We'll sell that book some other night. That was such yeah, a okay. that's such a good argument two weeks ago. That's now a Mac after dark, a six minute Mac after dark. Talking Coco defending his position that Popeye was in the Coast Guard. But anyway, when we move on, uh, we have tonight. Uh, Phil Wilbanks is with us tonight, and we're going to do the top uh, top ten countdown of the greatest spies. Uh, in history, really, I guess. Um, uh, well, Phil, from World War II forward. From World War II on, there's, uh, of course, a lot of them in uh-huh. World War II, and then the uh, Cold War also had a lot of spies. So we have a uh, top ten list tonight of um, uh, the greatest spies from World War II onward, but we're just going to uh, kind of lead you into a little bit. Uh, Phil, you have some background on these people? Yeah. Well, first of all, this is a list that Mac and I put together uh, of ten spies that we particularly like personally. Um, they were active from World War II until the modern era between, you know, all 10. And there was only two criteria that we used to decide who made this list, aside from the fact that we had to like them. Mm-hmm. The, first, the first quality was they had to make a significant contribution for the side they worked on. And secondly, they had to survive. They had to so live the second through. criteria knocked out a lot of candidates. I think, and Mac and I were talking about this, the biggest challenge that we're going to face tonight is to limit how much we say about each of them, Mm -hmm. because every one of the spies had incredible exploits that could fill an entire shelf. Yeah, I agree with you. So with that said, 
We're ready for our top 10. Top 10 list. I'm, I'm sure we'll dig up some music, some James Bond music or something. All right, go ahead, please, Phil. <laughs> Okay, uh, so now we're ready for Raven. Raven, I'm sorry. Raven, uh, you have all the right. list. I guess the music has been playing all this time, please. Top 10, number 10, please. Number 10 is the team of Bill Stevenson and Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl, yes. Go ahead, Phil. Okay, so this is the only team on the list. Everybody else is an individual. And the reason why this is a team, you'll, you'll come across the, uh, the reasoning very quickly here. So... Bill Stevenson was a wealthy, self-made spy master known by his code name, Intrepid. A lot of people, I'm sure, Famous. know spy who was called Intrepid without knowing that it was Bill Stevenson. Roald Dahl became an acclaimed children's book author, and he's best known for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. And yet, in World War II, they worked for British intelligence here in the U.S. Interesting. Um, Churchill believed that the British needed an American-based intelligence agency mm -hmm. prior to World War II, and his rationale to Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, was there was Nazi spies in your country that are doing bad things for England. They may be preparing to sabotage ships. I want to send this my friend, Canadian Bill Stevenson, uh, over to set up uh, operation, and um, he will fight the good fight for us, Mm -hmm. and protect you at the same time. Mm -hmm. Roosevelt said, geez, that sounds good. So Stevenson set up the um, his operation in Rockefeller Center, yep, was yep. given a lot of space by Nelson Rockefeller at a very nominal price, and in time got going with his spying, which, by the way, was called the British Security Coordinator. coordinator. Mm -hmm. But what he was mainly doing was spying on America. On behalf of Winston Churchill. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the idea was Churchill wanted to know what FDR was thinking so he could nudge him and persuade him to join the war on the English side. So Bill Stevenson's organization, which got the innocuous name, the British Security Coordinator, was housed in Rockefeller Center uh, with a generous amount of office space provided by Nelson Rockefeller at a nominal price because Rockefeller was an ardent anti-Nazi. And Stevenson went to work on the surface uh, to thwart Nazi spies in America. But in reality, his main objective was to spy on Franklin Roosevelt and keep Winston Churchill informed of his thinking so that Churchill could coax Roosevelt and the United States to join his side in World War II. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Roald Dahl was at this moment very far away in Egypt uh, as a fighter pilot fighting German uh, ME-109s, and after recovering from uh, wounds suffered during his tour of duty, he was assigned to the British Embassy in Washington as its air officer. And he was a tall, very good-looking um, man who had an easy way with women, and mm -hmm. suddenly he finds himself immersed in Washington society. This comes to Stevenson's attention. Stevenson signs him up and says, because you have entree to the inner circles in Washington, I would like you to help me in my spying efforts. Mm. And Dahl just does just that. As a matter of fact, he gets invited more than once to Hyde Park. Um, Roosevelt is very glib with him, reveals a lot of information that otherwise would not have been known to the British. Mm. And while uh, Dahl is up at Hyde Park, he notices that uh, 
Franklin Roosevelt has a very strong fondness for Princess Margaret of Norway. Whoa, whoa, and whoa, one whoa. reason why she's invited <laughs> at the same time that Dahl is, is because Dahl actually was born to Norwegian parents in England. Wow. So, so Dahl finds out that uh, Roosevelt has this uh, tidy little affair going on. Uh, they have an incredible amount of success. And even when Dahl is suspected by the U.S. government and the British kick him out, Stevenson arranges with Churchill to get him back. Oh, so wow. they go through the whole war. Uh, there are suspicions, but both of them survive. Both of them live to write their tales. And Dahl apparently wrote the secret history of the British security coordinator, mm -hmm. which I don't think has seen the light of day. Let me ask you this question, though. All right. So, well, actually, two questions. Number one, I mean, is it is it beyond the realm of possibility that Roosevelt knew what these two guys were up to? And, and number two... Um, you know, isn't there a chance that we would, you know, probably had someone over there doing the same thing? Um, well, yes. And Bill Donovan was the guy who we had over there doing the same thing as mm -hmm. time went on. Uh, but back to the first question, uh, the, the greatest enemy that Bill Stevenson had was J. Edgar Hoover. Yep. Yep. So well, J. Edgar Hoover suspected him but could never prove it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So what? So is this what these guys did during the war? They just basically channeled information for what was happening in the White House, how FDI was feeling. You know, was he uh, getting yeah. busy with the princes of Norway, stuff like that? And they just sent that back to them. Right. Right. And that always helped Churchill to be prepared. Right. And to basically stay in FDR's good favor for at least the first three or four years of the war. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, you know, that's interesting. I mean, that's why Churchill, he was a smart guy because he knew it, there, was, there was, he had to accomplish a number of things to fight this war and to win the war. And the son of a bitch did every single one of them. And they, yeah. they were, they were difficult stuff, getting the United States to join stuff like that, you know, to be the only Island left and to and stand up to the Germans, you know, that was like, 24-7 for, for months and months and months. And they did it. They did it. I mean, you know, as much as we may find on the British, you know, they did something yeah, really special. The Germans, too. You know, say that again? The Germans were so disorganized in terms of right. the, the idea of how they were going to attack, right. you know, England. They had no idea how to do it. They, you know, and there, there was almost the victims of their own success because they rolled through France so quickly. And all of a sudden, you're standing on the English Channel, but you got to get across the frigging thing. And it got to the point where they were like, you know, re, where they were, reckon, uh, you know, getting barges and barges from the Dutch and all that stuff. That would never have worked. It would never work. So, Raven, please, uh, number nine, top ten spies since World War II, please, number nine, Raven. Number nine is Rudolf Abel. Wow. Rudolf Abel, and let me, I'll just jump in real quick, Phil, okay? Right. So yeah. Ru Rudolf Abel is one of these guys who, he was a Russian, and he was one of these guys who, who, who was so cool and calm and collected under pressure that when he, during World War II, he was a spy for the Russians, but he infiltrated Hitler's inner circle, and there were pictures and film of Hitler directing, like, war strategy stuff over the map, and there's Rudolf Hess, at Rudolf Abel in the same room with Hitler. That's how good of a spy this guy was. And then after the war happened, after the war was over, the Russians sent him over to the United States, and all he, he had to do one thing: steal America's atomic secrets. And so he created a spy a spy network that eventually grew to 800 people. And he did this out of a little photography shop in Brooklyn. Okay, and and he didn't get caught. He only got caught by just a misstep by one of his uh, colleagues. But really, if not the greatest spy, one of the greatest spies ever, right, Phil? That's right. And of course, Rudolf Abel is famous because he was the spy who was exchanged for Francis Gary Powers. 
the U-2 pilot who was shot down over Russia uh, just before the uh, aborted Khrushchev Eisenhower summit conference, mm -hmm. which right. shook the world. Right. Yeah. Sure. That's it. that's. Uh, it, I had a uh, list and I just dot them, uh, dropped them down. Five best spy movies and one of the best spy movies ever, The Bridge of Spies. It's it's a great yeah. movie. It's it's it Steven Spielberg. I know, Tom Hanks. It seems like it's going to be some kind of you know boring kind of you know two hours of you know politics and stuff, but it isn't. It's a it's a really it's a it's a story that just kind of grabs you. One of those stories and you just got to watch it to the end. Yeah, Bridge of Spies. They exchange. Gary Francis Powell was the YouTube pilot for uh, Rudolph Abel. And even though Rudolph Abel had a network of 800 Americans working for him in the early 50s, stealing atomic secrets, once he gave himself up, once he was arrested, none of those 800 people were ever caught. So there were 800 traders running around scot-free after uh, you know, he was finally arrested. So where did they go? They went to the grave with their secrets. They sure didn't write books. So please, Ray. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Jim. Please. They went to Disneyland. They went to, they went to Disneyland? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Raven, please. Uh, number eight, I think. Top ten spies since World War II. Number eight is Fritz Kolba. So Fritz Kolba was a German who worked for the Foreign Office in Berlin, uh, who volunteered his services to the United States OSS, the OSS being the forerunner of the CIA. Um, he shows up in Bern, Switzerland one day and makes a connection with Alan Dulles, who was the uh, chief of the Bern station for the OSS. It so happens he has taped to his thighs envelopes containing authentic documents from the foreign ministry. Uh, Dulles and his assistants quickly realized this guy is real. Mm. The only question is, was for some reason he sent them right. to them, you know, to, to burn them. But the answer to the question was discovered soon uh, with the help of one of Dulles' uh, assistants. And the answer was, he's the real thing. Mm -hmm. okay. Every time, and Colville, by the way, was uh, a lower level staffer at the uh, foreign office, but he had access to everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he typically would come in on Sunday when nobody else was around, take the documents uh, and have them photographed by a sympathetic doctor at a nearby hospital. And then on his next opportunity, he would either volunteer or be sent to Bern to transfer regular information. Mm -hmm. And it was during these irregular visits to Bern that he brought out all kind of incredible information. And most significantly, and I think I noted it here somewhere in my notes, um, what, what, he, brought, he brought out the first information on the V weapons, the V1, the yeah, V2. Really? Yeah. Allies. He brought out plans and information on the ME-262. He was there? able to, to bring to uh, the attention of the OSS Japanese war plans, uh, because, you know, the Japanese ambassador tends to be very talkative in really? Berlin. Interesting. Uh, as it turned out, he was never really suspected or caught, mm -hmm. but his greatest worry was getting killed in an Allied air attack. Well, I was going to say, uh, now he's in Ber Berlin, right? He's in Berlin doing all this. He's in Berlin, this. and if he, were, if he was to have fled Berlin, mm -hmm. he would have basically exposed himself. Right. And well, well, no help on. to the Allies. And he was determined to do everything he can to bring down Hitler, so he stuck it out. Right. Yeah, that's got that's got to really be uh, stressful that you have to stay in the in the in the city that they're just bombing, twenty four hours a day. 
interesting. So, but but it, it talk about impact on the law. If he was the f- one who first turned them on to the Vengeance, the V1 and the V2 rockets and the ME262 first jet fighter, then he, uh, he he earned his pay right there just for those two things. And there's one more thing to mention as a prelude as we go down this list. And just all you have to do here is just keep this in mind. He was the first to alert the Allies that there was a spy in the British Embassy in Turkey mm-hmm. who was passing invaluable information to the Germans. He had no idea who this spy was, except that his code name was Cicero. Oh, wow. Okay. Coming up. So we have more to say about Cicero later. I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this then? Why don't we take a quick commercial break now? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Miltrax. I'll show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We're counting down the top 10 best spies since World War II. So please stay with us. There's a monster in Tokyo Bay, hundreds of feet tall and breathing fire. It's able to destroy whole cities, sink entire battle fleets, and knock swarms of jet fighters from the sky. But there's another even more dangerous resident of the bay. A secretive psychopath intent on covering the planet with nuclear-armed booby traps unless the world's population bends to their demands. Meanwhile, a mysterious group of reborn medieval warriors has taken to the air. Strange signals are being picked up from outer space, and witnesses report seeing hundreds of ghost planes flying in the night skies over Tokyo. Sailing off the coast of Japan aboard the United American Navy's mega aircraft carrier, the USS USA, it's Hawk Hunter, the wingman. He must investigate these unusual occurrences while trying to thwart the criminal's apoleptic plan. But will his actions save the planet or lead to World War IV? Find out in Macaloni's exciting new novel, The Jericho Storm. Filled with dozens of dogfights, sea battles, and brutal hand-to-hand combat, The Jericho Storm is book 21 in Mac's best-selling Wingman series. Team up with Hawk's longtime allies, as well as a few new ones, including fighter pilots Switchblade Steve Ward and Jocko Johnson. That's Wingman 21, The Jericho Storm. On sale now at your local bookstore and on Amazon. Can I tell my probe, my probe joke anyway? Please. You, it's your show. Why are you asking? Everyone is well do because it, it might be offensive. Offensive. Do it. Do it. Do it. So a guy goes into it for, for his annual physical. You know this one? No. Oh, go ahead. I'm and and you know the, and then he's having his physical and the doctor says, okay, it's time for the you know for the process for the procedure with the finger and the prostate check. Right. And he, he puts on the glove and stuff and tells the guy to take his position. And then he begins the exam, and the and, and the doctor says to the guy, says, you know, don't don't worry, don't be embarrassed. It's it's very natural for somebody to get an erection during one of these exams. And the patient says, I don't have an erection, and the doctor says, yeah, but I do. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. Very quickly, uh, the um, CC is here. Mimi Cobra, Coco, up there. On the wing, Mac. Okay, on the wing. No JJ tonight. He's uh, indisposed. He's moved to the UK, but he's going to be joining us very soon. Also here with us tonight, brightening up the night, as our good friend, uh, good witch Raven up there in Southwest New York. Raven, how are you doing? Hi, my friends. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's the drink to jour tonight? Have we already asked you that? This is um, Stone Fear Movie Lions. 
Sounds about right. Yeah, okay. All right. We'll get them as a sponsor. Uh, also here <laughs> is uh, Agent X, the uh, man who works for the agency, who works for the agencies. X. So delighted to be with the distinguished members of the panel. And Thank the, you. The, the thing tonight is we're, we're talking about spies. And X used to be a spy, legitimately used to be a spy for the U.S. government. We'll get into that later. Also joining us is our good friend uh, Phil Orbanes down there in Magnolia, Massachusetts. Phil, how are you doing? Good, good. He's presenting, ready to go. Presenting a list tonight, top 10 uh, spies in history since World War II. Also joining us is a big-time literary agent, Jim Frankel. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. Down here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It sounds like you complain about that, brother. Are you complaining or are you just making fun of no, the people, no, your neighbors? No, I'm not complaining. Uh-huh. I, we like it here. Do you really? Yeah? Okay. All yeah, right. yeah. Yep. All right. as, long, as long as we don't get a hurricane that wipes us out. That's all. Hey, that's all. <laughs> Uh, well, you're not going to get a snowstorm. Have you golfed yet? Have you? Are you a golfer? I don't golf. Not no, you sure? No, you're not going to take. Never liked golf. No, sorry. Okay, we got it. All right. So, uh, um, so what we're doing? We're in the middle of, almost in the middle of, uh, top ten greatest spies since World War II. A list that uh, Phil um, came up with. Phil and I talked about it. These people. I mean, my my advice is uh, you'll hear their name. You hear a little bit about what they did, but just go look them up and see the crazy things these people did. And 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 it, what always gets me is. Um, What's the motivation? And a lot of times, it, it, spies don't get paid a lot of money, right, Phil? They don't get paid tons and tons of money. You know, some people through, will betray their country for like a thousand bucks. You know, two or three thousand yeah. bucks, a boat, a sailboat, stuff like that. So money isn't always the uh, you know the motivation. Well, the one we're coming up on, he definitely wanted money, but we'll mm-hmm. let Raven introduce it. Raven, go ahead, please. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this is number seven. Mm-hmm. Um, we are on Robert Hansen. Robert Hansen. Well, this is one of the spies that Mac and I agree we do not like because of the damage he did. Um, he was an American who worked for the KGB. So he was, in our mind, a bad guy. Uh, he's one of the more modern spies, though. He was born in 1944, and he was born to uh, devout Lutheran parents. Mm-hmm. But when he married, he switched to his wife's religion, Catholicism, mm-hmm. and remained devoutly religious his entire life while doing really foul and nasty deeds. Well, that was a mistake. Um, he approached the Soviet, he was a former FBI agent who thought he got a bum rap. And so he decided to approach the Soviet Union's intelligent directorate in Washington called the uh, GRU. Now there is a slight, there is a difference between the KGB and the GRU. Mm-hmm. Uh, the okay. GRU is military intelligence. The KGB is intelligence intelligence. Yeah, basically, the but KGB he, used to be our equivalent to CIA. Okay. Yeah. They, so, it, but he, military yeah. intelligence was like the defense intelligence agency or something right. along those lines. So he shifted over to the KGB and he demanded money. He wanted to get rich by using his uh, access to top secret information and sold it uh, on a regular basis mm-hmm. to the Russians. Um, he did this amazingly for 22 years. And that. one of the things that enabled him to go that long without suspicion is that he would go inactive for long periods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his inactivity was uh, perfectly timed uh, when suspicions were rising. Right. And he, things would cool off and he would come back again. Right, this is in the uh, 80s, right, Phil? It Was this in the 80s? This was the 80s and the 90s. Right. Okay. He this... wasn't caught until 2001. As a matter of fact, uh, he was arrested on 18, 18 February 2001 in uh, 
Foxstone Park in DC while he was dropping a package of classified materials. The FBI by that point were ready for him. They arrested him. He had been paid during the prior 22 years well over a million dollars by mm. the KGB. It's not bad. Uh, he didn't put up a fight. He pleaded guilty and was, con- <laughs> I love this, he was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms <laughs> with no possibility of parole. Wow. Hope you like the food, pal. Wow. Yeah. So we know where he is nowadays. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the damage done, a uh, the Department of Justice described his espionage as, quote, possibly the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history, mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, here's the thing. Um, I, 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 I got to tell you that, you know, when I'm, I'm not giving you anything away, is that X used to work in these circles, correct? Uh, to the point where they used to give you security things every three or four years? Yes. And, and Hansen was a teaching case with one of those agencies about – uh, how bad um, things will get if you screw up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so how does a question for X was Ames also a study? Ames is also a guy. Yeah, right. yeah. Ames was CIA though. Yeah. Okay. So so my question here is this. So I so, don't want to go into the different agencies. Right. Work with. But but someone but someone like you who worked for these people. You know, and had to go through regularly security things because I've I've done it. I've I, they've they've been over my house at eight in the morning interrogating me about you. So you have to go through it, and I've been with you where it's a stressful thing, correct? When you have your five year security check, and Coco has done it as well. It's a stressful point, yeah. yes or no? So how did this guy do it? How did they not catch this frigging guy? They must know that this sensitive information is going out the door. They have to know it. They have one of the, to one know of the, one of the questions that the investigators who do your, they're called uh, bring up clearances, are, are supposed to ask is, have you seen any influence of, and this is a quote, undue affluence? And in Ames' case and in Hansen's case, it appeared maybe not zillions of dollars, but there was, uh, there were examples of undue affluences. And they never got, apparently, a um, a positive response to that particular question, mm. but okay. I'm sure they asked that to you. <laughs> but 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 you know, talking about this guy, like once again, if 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 stuff that you had access to, right, is suddenly you know turning up on the other side or whatever. Okay, I mean, you know, if it's missing, it's missing. But it's it's not really missing. It's that the other side knows about it. I mean, don't they go directly to you and say, or to the five people who have, who have knowledge of that thing and say, you know, they put you under the, the, the bright lights and you're the third degree? I mean, how can it not be any other way? The answer is yes, and they should have done that. I'm not sure it was done in either case. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So uh, anyway, go, oh, please, right. Uh, number six is Tony Mendez. Oh, this is the one so, we had the discussion about. Yeah. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah, so Tony Mendez was a good guy from our point of view. Uh, he was a Latino born in the desert in Nevada in 1940. Uh, he joined the CIA. And um, unlike everybody else on this list who did active spying, Tony Mendez was actually, for the most part, a facilitator mm. of other spies mm. because he was a key member of the CIA's Office of Technical Studies, which was a fancy name for 
disguise and subterfuge. Mm -hmm. um, he innovated an amazing amount of disguise technology while he was in Washington. And they got a chance to try out his techniques on the streets of Washington to see how they would work before they went into the field. Mm -hmm. And most notably, uh, when the time was right in the um, 1960s and early late, and in, pardon me, in the uh, late 1970s, he was sent to Moscow and he figured out what it would take in order to get the 50,000 KGB agents assigned to tail and monitor everybody coming in and out of the American embassy. Yes. He figured out how to get them off, you know, the selected spies, how to get them to wrangle free of their tails. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the ways he did it, which was very simple, is he simply had a, a CIA agent disguise himself as an ordinary embassy worker that the Russians had lost interest in. Mm -hmm. you know, same clothes, mustache, yeah, baseball yeah. cap, whatever. Yep. Uh, he also devised techniques where they could, in a car, which was always tailed, if they could just turn a corner and get five free seconds, mm. he would have the agent thrust out of the car and a blow-up dummy no pop way. up in the no, back no, no, seat no. that looked just <laughs> like it. No, okay, uh, hang, hang on a second, hang yeah. on. So what they did was this. Wow. So so back then, and, and I know X used to do this kind of stuff. He can tell the story about uh, sneezing in the supermarket, some other show. But everyone used to tail everyone else. So if they knew someone was in the car who was really hot, if they took a right-hand turn, they'd show, throw him out the door, and a, and a dummy would blow up as if he was the passenger in the car? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, wow. Man. Yeah. Get him into an alley. That, and so as long as the KGB car, when they turned the corner, saw that there were, say, three people in the car. Right. They paid attention to the car, not to the alley where the real agent had been deposed. Now, by the way, what was so key about this is they had two absolutely fantastic sources yes. uh, in the KGB who were providing vital information to the CIA in Moscow. The problem was, before Mendez arrived, they could not possibly ever meet these people. They just had to do it remotely through signals and drops and whatnot. Okay. But as Mendez pointed out, it's a hundred times more beneficial if you can sit down with the agent who's helping you and read him and reassure him, et cetera, et cetera. And then you know a lot more about, you know, the, the person that, that you have to help right. to yeah, remain anonymous. Up. The first Russian agent that was uh, so key to Mendes, his code name was Trigon. And he insisted at the first face-to-face -face meeting that he be given what was called an L-pill. An L-pill is basically something that, enable you to commit suicide in seconds. Uh, they didn't want to do it. They said, we will find a way to get you out if you ever, if they ever get hot on you. Mm -hmm. But he said, no, I'm not going to continue unless I have it. Uh, he, Trigon, revealed things that prevented World War III. He was that important mm -hmm. to him. And the second guy, who uh, whose name was Tokachev, <laughs> worked for the Russian uh, agency responsible for radar. And every single radar system that the Russians developed the CIA learned about, and we could counter it in real time as a result. Mm, Unfortunately, uh, Trigon was caught, and he did swallow the L-pill. So mm. that was it for him. Mm -hmm. And Tokachev disappeared uh, and reappeared again. And it took 10 months before the CIA realized in Russia that it was not the real Tokachev, that they were playing the CIA. Wow. But uh, nothing damaging really happened during this period. Right. Now, Mendez has one other claim to fame, which you probably know about, and that is 
he was the inspiration for Ben Affleck's character in the movie Argo. Argo. Yep. Because it was Tony Mendez who personally led the mission of the so-called film crew mm-hmm. um, that rescued the six American hostages in the Iranian embassy who had not been discovered by the students. Right. Yeah. It's a good movie. I'm telling you, Ben Affleck as an actor, uh, 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 but it's a good movie. It's an engrossing movie, in it, and it's a realistic movie um, because it, it tells you kind of like the minute-to-minute way that they got these people who have been hiding out in Tehran after the Iran hostage crisis, how they got them out, and how it took so many people and so many kind of uh, you know cogs to come together, so many spotted lines to— uh, Matt, one of the best parts of that movie is when you hear the discussion going on in the rooms, how they're trying to come up with the plans, and Mendes is the character sitting there. We'll put them on bicycles. You know, it's 200 miles to the border. How are we going to get them to ride bicycles? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. this is the kind of the crazy stuff when people are right. Know, yeah, yeah. trying to come up with a convenient way to go forward. Phil, the one thing I wanted to add about Mr. Mendez, yeah. it, it wasn't enough that the mannequin, or the, that the blow-up doll would blow up in the car. He wanted it also to have enough features so that a fairly intensive look he was a detailed guy. It, he's the, some of the techniques he created are still with the agency today. There are shoes that you can take and turn off so that you will have like white shoes on. You go into a bathroom, you unzip and you zip them back on, and the skins right. now are black shoes. Wait a minute, wait, that, wait, you know, wait. So that when you're being followed, hang on, uh, you turn coats inside out, and and it's a different pattern. Yep. He he was he was keen on that, but he was one of those guys who just didn't dream it up. He was actually able to fabricate it. Okay, That's and right. the technique is that he had to come up with didn't just extend to really cool, you know, uh, camouflage and costumes. It was also techniques of how you would go out to the edge of a town, and folks uh, that uh, X and I hung around with would fly up in a very quiet aircraft and pick you up yes. and fly you out to get you out of safety. I mean, they pulled up because of his kind of uh, vision, but his ability to put that vision into practice. To build on what you're saying, just two quick things. Go Number ahead. one, those dummies, he even designed them so their heads would turn as if they were having a conversation. Okay. They oh. could be controlled that way. And secondly, <laughs> he was challenged and won the following challenge, namely that he could walk down a street and within 45 <laughs> seconds, Changed his appearance from a businessman to a middle-aged lady wearing a dress. Okay, whoa, whoa, hang on. I've seen one one do that a number of times. So, so listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so I, I don't know where to begin. So, isn't this guy then like the greatest spy like ever? I mean, is he? Well, did, but he didn't do much spying. That's why we put him where we did. Yeah, he was a facilitator. Yeah. Yeah. So he ran spy stuff. In other words, right? He ran spy ops. Would you say? He yeah he helped spies to become invisible. That was his claim to fame. Okay, so so but a balloon popping up in a car isn't that right out of Get Smart? I mean that's how I uh, kind of see it, you know. That's well, what I was thinking too. Mm-hmm. No, I guess not. Okay, so all right, next one. This is the top ten greatest spies since World War II. Please, Raven, number uh, um, five. Five. Number five. Okay, bear with me. Uh, Elisa Bezna, Bezna, Elisa Bezna, Bezna. So, aka Cicero. Sorry, Cicero. Yes, Bosna was a Turk, and he is most famous in history for his code name Cicero. And you remember that earlier that um, the German working for the OSS found out about a secret spy named Cicero in the British embassy and alerted Alan Dulles in Bern, Switzerland, to it. Well. Bosna was a servant. 
And he never had the expectation of ever getting out of the servant class, but he was a very determined guy. He had one hobby, which was photography. Yes. And he manages to get a job working for the British ambassador in Ankara, Turkey. Um, because he's working for the ambassador and he watches his habits, he realizes the ambassador is doing something that he probably shouldn't do. And that is <laughs> he's taking home from the embassy no. top secret documents to read before he goes to bed at night. What year is this? Has a bright, Phil, what year, is, a, what year is this, Phil? Okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is 1943. We're in the middle of World War Two, okay. And... Um, uh, Turkey is being uh, persuaded by both sides to join. Uh, Turkey is remaining neutral at this point. So now that he's got access to the British ambassador's bedroom and notices where he keeps his uh, these secret papers under lock and key, mm -hmm. he manages to make wax impressions of the keys needed to unlock the boxes. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, once he has his keys, he can regularly go into the boxes take the documents under the stairwell in the house while the ambassador is at the embassy yes. and his family is elsewhere and photograph them because he's a good photographer to give them and to he actually has the help of one of the maids in the house uh -oh. named Mara, who he befriends and uh, seduces <laughs> and she becomes his lookout. Okay. Uh, that's one way of uh, putting it. Listen, and he's giving the secret uh, documents to who the Germans. Well, now he hasn't given them to anybody, wow, but he's, he's got all these documents and he's basically He's reading Winston Churchill's thoughts and his um, his conversations with Stalin and Roosevelt at yep. Yalta. Yep. I mean, yep. literally, he knows exactly what's going on behind closed doors. Damn. So who would be the most logical purchaser of this? The Germans. The highest bidder. Yep. Yep. So he goes to the German embassy, introduces himself, says, for 15,000 pounds, I will give you a roll of film which contains secret documents from Yalta. And the Germans, he gives them one week to make up their mind, make a long story short. The German head spy in that agency, a guy named Moisich, who works for the security arm of the SS, gets permission from Berlin to buy the film. Yep. Lo and behold, what he then proceeds, this is Cicero, after they give him that code name, Cicero then gives them role after role, week after week, which reveals things such as that the code name for the invasion of Europe is Overlord. Wow, the Germans have seen Overlord pop up, you know, and yeah, some yeah. messages that they've decoded, but they have no idea what it is. Well, he proves to them that it is the invasion of Norway. And you know what they do in Berlin? They decide this is too good to be true. Let's not pay attention to it. So this is he gave them the info on the invasion of Normandy and so gave all the details and gave them the name of it and they disregarded it. They didn't think they could trust it. Chumps. So, but now, get this. So now Normandy occurs, you know, it's for real. And at about the same time, in his photograph documents, he gives the Germans details of the first big Allied bombing raid to come on Sofia, Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. Well, that comes off like clockwork. From that point on, they pay attention to him. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> He operated with impunity throughout the war. But you may remember that I had mentioned that Alan Dulles was tipped off by, you know, Fritz Kolbe right. about him. So Dulles gets a lady blonde secretary whoa, 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 whoa. to be transferred, a German yes. who's working for the OSS. He gets her transferred down to Ankara 
to the German ambassador's residence, and she ends up working for Moishevich or Moishevich, you know, the head security guy. Okay. So, and I'll just I'll just leave you with this before I wrap up Bosna. So Bosna finds out through all the correspondence he's photographing that they're on to a spy named Cicero. And he knows that somebody has been sent to ferret him out. He just doesn't okay. know who. Okay. He knows this woman's voice because he very often has to call Moishevich at the German embassy. Okay. Well, one day when he's shopping for his latest uh, love, by the way, he's married with three daughters, you know, back in uh, okay. Constantinople. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's going to shop in this fancy, you know, lingerie store. And who does he see? He sees Moishevich and his leggy secretary, whose voice he recognizes from the telephone. Wow. And they actually have a conversation, but neither of them realize that they are looking for each other. That's how okay. close he came. Okay. Yes. And, and uh, he makes it through the entire war. He gets paid a fabulous sum of money in mm. British pounds mm -hmm. and saves it. And when the war is over and no one has found out who he is, he decides He's going to open a hotel. He's going to build it from the ground up. He knows exactly what he wants to do. Okay. But he runs into a small problem. The British pounds that the Germans paid him are counterfeit. <laughs> oh, that's cold, And so man. for the rest of his life, he's bitter at the Germans. He has to work all, a lot of uh, lower-paying jobs. Yes. And it's not until the 1960s that he re finally reveals that he was Cicero. Mm. Did he write a book? And he writes a book. Oh, see, Jim? See how I you know, I know. <laughs> wow, that's that's bad, man. That's bad. Yeah. Uh -huh. All these pounds, yeah, I got all this money in the bank. Uh uh. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, but he was burned. Yeah, cool. But at least he survived and was able to tell his tale. Mm -hmm. We're talking uh, right now uh, to Phil Orbanes, who is uh, doing a countdown of the top 10 spies in history since World War II. Why don't we take a quick break now? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. It was really the, the little things throughout the house. Counters that you can't roll up to. I had to drag my wheelchair down steps. I want to help, but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit HFOTUSA.org. Welcome back, everyone. Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac and Roney. What show we have here tonight? First of all, uh, girls, uh, girls, girls, and Gigi girls. Commander Cobra is here. Coco, everything okay with you? Hang on the wing there, Mac. Glad to be here. Mm. Thanks so much. Did you just Only get a haircut? For you. Did you just get a haircut? Nope. No. Yeah, you got that. No, little... I cut my hair uh, when you saw me for the party. 
Huh, the potty, yeah. Yeah, okay. We talked about the potty last week. Sitting there in this beautiful, idyllic setting of a farm in Maine, eating delicious chicken salad sandwiches while real chickens went around our feet pecking for the crumbs. Now, what does that say? That's what it says. Anyway, uh, also with us is our uh, good friend uh, up there in Sideways, New York, Raven. Raven, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks okay. for having me. Now, what do you what do you what do you think of all this? Is this a deep dive into history for you? Kind of. Oh yeah, I love yeah. I love talking about this stuff, and sure. it's nice because I don't have to do any of the research. All of that was done for me, <laughs> okay. so I can just sit back and listen. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> I believe you. All right, that's cool. And also with us is uh, Agent X. You know his background, right? X, you okay? Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is um, kind of the stuff that I. I um, spent many years doing. So I, I'm enjoying the subject, and Phil is doing a fantastic job. I agree. Thank you. Thank let you, X. Agreed. Let me ask you this. Are you, are you loading a gun or cleaning a gun there in front of you? There's a lot of noise on the microphone. You, X. Oh, he's got his hands up. Hey, I'm not <laughs> flipping pages over or anything. Okay. Uh, Phil. <laughs> you can see my Grease Dooji shirt. <laughs> well, that, okay. Thank you, Lieutenant Colonel. Used to work in one of the most sensitive places in the world to prevent World War. American legends. Okay. Uh, also with us is uh, Phil Orbanes, our good friend, uh, who is the past president of Winning Moves, uh, which makes a lot of the game board games that um, that you grew up with and still make them now. There's a cool like addition of risk. Risk in college. That's what we used to do, as we used to you know get uh, happy and play risk for like a weekend. <laughs> At a time, you know, it was crazy. It was, but everyone was so into it. It was just, it, it would take days and days and days. Um, and that European risk is really kind of cool. So, uh, and you also do the Ouija board, right, Phil? We do that so that Raven has something that we can connect to. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. That's, that's how Phil gets in touch with me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. TMI. We don't need possible. ego. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So, so, but you told us that in bad times, Ouija board sales go up, right? That's correct. Wow. Wow. And what is the dynamic behind that? Is that people just uh, uh, fearful and they well, want? In prior decades, before there were such things as email and, you know, global communication, uh, <laughs> the Ouija board was a means for people to ask the question, how's my soldier son doing in the foreign war? Whatever it might be, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, mm -hmm. you know, and sales would spike during those periods. Um, People believe that they could learn the fate of their loved one, or for that matter, even ask questions like, what day will D-Day be? Like my boss did at Parker Brothers, mm -hmm. and the answer came back on the Ouija board June 6th. Wow, wow, wow. That's How weird. could that That's be? Weird. That can't be a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, that other voice you hear is our uh, good friend, uh, Jim Franklin, big-time literary agent. That, I mean, that is weird. There's a whole thing. That's another show we should do. There's a whole thing that happened. Like in the two weeks before D-Day, There's some things really, really weird happened. Like there's a crossword puzzle that had like five classified words in it or something, and it was just a coincidence. Um, there's this thing they're talking about, the whole idea that, that the Germans thought we were going to invade Norway or we were going to invade the, um, what is it, the Pas de Calais or whatever the it is. Pas de Calais, yeah. You know, and, and, all the stuff that they tried, and that there was a fake army under, uh, you know, George Patton that, that was basically rubber tanks, tanks they blew up, and trucks, and, and it's a cool story. Those two weeks are a very interesting story. So anyway, uh, so uh, so where are we, uh, Raven, in the list? Top 10. Have I introduced everybody? I don't yeah. see any pouts. Yep. Okay. All right. So we're on uh, top 10, counting down the top 10 best spies ever. 
since uh, World War II. Number four, please, Raven. We are at uh, Elizabeth Bentley. Elizabeth Bentley is, I believe, the only uh, woman on the list. Uh, she is one of my favorite spies in history because of her transformation. She was a zealous communist, uh, an American who was uh, 31 years old in 1939 when the war began. She worked for the GRU and the NKVD, which was the forerunner of the KGB. And the, the Russian was, secret police. Russian secret police was the NKVD. Right. She was the uh, top assistant to the number one spy master for Russia in New York City named Jacob Golos, who um, trained her to um, become a very successful courier initially. He would send her to Washington, D.C., where she would meet with his spy masters, namely, or I should say most significantly, Nathan Silvermaster, who had access through dozens of loyal new dealers to the communist cause mm. who would bring out scads of documents that he and his wife would photograph on microfilm in his basement in, in Georgetown. She would pick them up, take them back in her purse, deliver them to Golos, and from there they would make their way to Moscow. Mm -hmm. At one point, the output that she was collecting on a biweekly basis was so much her purse was bulging and she felt that if an FBI agent caught sight of her, that she would be interrogated and perhaps, uh, you know, incarcerated. And what was and, this stuff? But she never was. What was uh, the stuff, Phil? Phil, what was it? Yeah. What was it? Secrets, everything you want to know, that type of thing? Every, well, well, first of all, there was more than 300 communist sympathizers in the Roosevelt administration. <laughs> and people like Silvermaster and a few others were the conduits for whatever they had. A lot of it was, you know, production information, details mm -hmm. on timetables for completing a new aircraft, yeah, uh, yeah. even things as as uh, insignificant, if you will, as agriculture production, because by having all this information, Stalin knew what buttons to push and what to demand. You know, if, if he knew that they were that we had a very you know bumper crop in corn, he could ask for more corn. I'm just saying yeah, this right. as a way of example. Yeah, but yeah. the amount of information, it was timely, it was real time, and it was coming through her to Golos. Uh, Golos had a heart condition, and in 1944, he died literally in her arms of a heart attack mm. in her apartment. Mm. Before she called the hospital, she went to his office because he had instructed her, got everything of significance out of his safe, took it back to her apartment, and threw it in the fireplace. Wow, before she called the ambulance, that's cold. Before she called it, yeah. Now, so, she knew he was dead, but, but he had instructed her of what to get rid of. Hmm. However, in the process of getting rid of it, she was able to see all of his secrets that, you know, basically uh, he had kept from her. Well, up until that point, and by the way, the apartment that she had in um, the lower, uh, in Greenwich Village, Perfect. She had selected because it had a fireplace. Mm. Yeah, just for that very purpose. Imagine what that would cost these days. Pardon me? Imagine what that would cost these days. Jim, you'd know. Oh, oh yeah. A fireplace uh, in Greenwich yeah. Village, that'd be like in the oh, hundreds, I, hundreds of thousands. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, her apartment opened into an interior courtyard, so you couldn't oh. even see on the street when oh. she was coming or going. And she could go through the rear door of a nearby bar and come out on in a completely different street. Nice. To have, to uh, you know, shake any tail that may have been following her. Anyways, so now he's gone, and now she, her, the change comes. She is now under the control of the new leaders of the KGB who come into New York City. 
and she finds them repulsive. Mm. Why? Because unlike Golos, who was austere and really believed in truly in the principles of communism, these guys are spendthrifts. They're here to have a good time. They uh, don't respect her because she's a woman. And they demand that she turn over all of Golos' spy networks to them. Yes. Which these Americans, by the way, in Washington really don't want. They don't want to be reporting to Russians. They don't mind, you know, or, or uh, absconding secrets for Stalin and the idealism of communism. They just don't want to be under the thumb of KGB thugs. So when things finally get too hot for her, she turns herself into the FBI mm. in Hartford, Connecticut. And over a period of a couple of weeks, once the FBI realized that she is not an insane person, yes. and she certainly sounds insane with all the stories she's telling, yes. they take her seriously. And she reveals through the next couple of months, the roughly 300 traitors in the government. Uh, she then becomes the, the significant witness in the anti-American trials that take place mm -hmm. after World War II. Yep. And the press and, you know, a lot of... Uh, supporters of the people that she is naming, of course, try to destroy her character, mm -hmm. claim that she's a drunkard, uh, that she's a sex addict, which, by the way, she is. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, there's, now, there's yeah. another show. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. Come I know. Back. What do you think caused the heart attack? But, <laughs> but here's the thing. When the, you know, when the uh, KGB archives were open briefly in the early 1990s, mm. every one of the people that she fingered was proven to be a spy. She didn't make any of it up. She right. may have had a, a couple of instances where she was confused about a name or something, but she got it right. Raven, if you could take a screenshot right now, we forever and got it to do. Wow. Mr. Phil has managed to say shake tail fingered in and, the same description uh, as Spike. Okay. And, right. and talk about sex addiction. All in the and same. If you had the face of Raven. I, we, I'm just reading the facts. Have, if we could have a postcard of Raven's face when right. all those things came in culmination. Yeah. It's like uh, going in and out. Let of me your... just put it this way. Mac <laughs> hit the lollipop. Okay. He's got <laughs> a fresh lollipop, ladies and gentlemen. That's he true. crushed that sucker if you catch my drift. Wow. That sucker okay. is the right word. Wow. <laughs> Phil, oh my God, doing I material. We need some Mac after Doc. Well, this entire conversation is rapidly going into right. the counter. This is, this is very serious stuff here. <laughs> okay. Well, the fact is that Elizabeth Bentley really was, you know, an object of sensationalistic, you know, newspaper coverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Phil, Phil knows this. Hmm. Um, you know, she, she was, she was, she was supposedly this, you know, this spy queen mm. and, uh, you know, everyone, and yada, yada. But if everyone uh, knows who you are, how can you be a spy queen? You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, Area well, 51 is like the most famous. She admit, after she went to the FBI. Oh, top secret place in the world. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Oh, so she became a personnel after she turned herself in, that type of thing? Yeah. Well, well what, what happened was she turns herself in. The FBI gives her permission to talk to one media source. I think it was oh, the AP. Yes. But once her story gets out by the AP and it's... The other media just pick it's up everywhere, and, sure. and like Jim said, they began calling her the blonde spy queen mm -hmm. when in reality she was brunette and homely looking. Well, 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 at this mm -hmm. point, she had gained weight, you know, wow. from all of her stress. So she was <laughs> definitely not Keeps someone worse. you would look twice at. Yeah, but look, you know, we should all be grateful that the press isn't like that anymore. Right. No. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We. Wow. Okay. So listen, why don't we go on to number? What is it, Raven? Please. Three. Num number three. Number three. Top okay. Three number th now. top 
10 best spies in history since World War II. Number three, Phil Number three is uh, Kim Raven. Philby. Kim Philby. Uh, Let me just throw this in. Now, now this is, uh, we're, we're always getting about a different show, but if you um, look into if, if you lo look into who the Cambridge, I think they're the Cambridge Six now, there were five. Yeah, but didn't they add one to it? No, I think you're right. Okay, you're right. so it's My either point. Cambridge yeah. six, five or six. But basically, this was what is that in England, these uh, five or six people who were in the really upper crust of England and and also in the um, in in kind of the, the intelligence world in England. Least likely guys you would ever think of, they all turned spies for, for Russia during a very kind of crucial time. And they were feeding this information back to Russia for, for, for a long, long time. And it took them a long, long time to catch these guys. And Kim Philby was kind of like the guy. He was like the number one guy. So he's born in British India, upper crust. He's educated at Cambridge. Uh, he becomes a reporter assigned to the Spanish Civil War in the you know, mid-1930s. He goes back to England and gets recruited to be a spy for Russia because his communist uh, sympathies are becoming known to the Russians. Uh, he gets a key job um, with uh, the British embassy. And to make matters worse, he's sent to America. And oh. when he's in America, okay. he's not only able to provide loads of information to the KGB, uh, in his role as first secretary at the British embassy, but he's also able to finger KGB agents who are working for America and make sure that they get caught. There's that uh, word again, right, Coco? And yes, by sir. the way, I, I, we didn't mention it during Robert Hansen's piece, but one of the things that Hansen did that was so terrible is he revealed to the Russians the name of so many CIA agents overseas <laughs> in Russia who were... Um, you know, once their cover was blown, they were as good as dead. Yeah, right. Man, what a rap. Go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah. So now Philby is doing pretty much the same thing. And when his when his buddies, you know, the other members of the Cambridge Five, when they are now being suspected, Philby is not. Hmm. Philby alerts them all and like in like Burgess, and they get the heck out of London and defect to, to Moscow mm -hmm. and save their backsides. Mm -hmm. But by doing this, this eventually leads to Philby's uh, demise too. But Philby makes it to Moscow, and mm. Philby even gets his picture on a postage stamp. Uh, this guy was really, in effect, never caught. The sheer number of years that he operated with impunity uh, really didn't have any equal in British He's Secret Service. So his damage is monumental. He, he became like a major in the KGB or something, or he got a, the Order of Lenin or something. He was treated as a yeah. hero. But the, the damage that this guy did, and as Phil was saying, you know, he, anytime that you, uh, I don't want to use the word finger, but anytime that you out a CIA agent or another agent, they're going to kill him. He's a spy, and they're, they're going to shoot him, you know? And, and that's the easiest way to get over the problem. And, um, you know, he revealed like, you know, dozens if not hundreds of people who were, you know, caught in and executed, and he did it without any kind of like guilt or any kind of, I don't know what the word is. He was just one of these cold-hearted, cold-blooded guys Very who immoral. and had a but, great but he, cover, he, but a great cover. You would never suspect this guy was up to stuff until, boom, he's gone, and he's living in Moscow in the life of a king, yeah, if that's possible. So I have a question, Phil. Was he, was he a true believer? 
Yes, absolutely. He, was, yeah. he never, he never, re, re, never recanted or repented. So what that means <laughs> that he was a true believer in the communist doctrine, and that was happening yeah. a lot in the 30s and everything. It was a different time. There was a depression, and like these things that were kind of left-leaning ideas seemed to be good ideas. The problem is, is that when World War II started and Russia, all of Russia was communist, people kind of fell in love with this whole idea that you know the people work for the you know everyone works together and stuff like that and they used to call Joe, Stalin uncle Joe i mean it was propaganda he was you know your friend you know my enemy's enemy is my friend that type of thing but i mean they turned out to be just as bad as hitler if not worse and you know we were kind of tied to them for a long time and a lot of people philosophically we're tied to kind of the left-leaning kind of way of life where, you know, there shouldn't be any kind of greed and everyone should have like equal share stuff, but it doesn't work out like that. It sounds good. It should be kind of like that, but it doesn't work out like that, you know, really in real life. And, um, you know, a lot of people were kind of fooled in the forties and fifties. Well, Philby operated from the late 1930s until 1963. And once he realized that he was going to be arrested, he fled to Moscow. So that's a very long career. And I think, uh, Jim, to answer you know your question, one of the reasons why he was such a devout communist is because growing up in the British class system as a young man, he just came to despise it. Yeah, he just thought it was bad and evil, and and communism was good by contrast. That's a good reason, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a really effed up system over there. So what? Where are we at, Raven? Number two. We're getting down to the top two now. Top two. Okay, let's go. This is the uh, top ten spies in history since uh, World War II. Please, Raven, number two. Number two is Oleg Gordievsky. Right. Well, Oleg Gordievsky was a colonel in the KGB who worked as a double agent for British intelligence. So whereas the Russians had Kim Philby uh, to the Britishest um, harm, the British had Oleg Gordievsky to the Russians harm. Uh, he was born in, uh, let's see what year, in 1938 as to the son of a KGB agent. And after he graduated college in the 1960s, he was assigned to, uh, he wasn't in the KGB yet, but he was assigned to East Berlin and for the first time saw the ugly face of communism. He hated the war mm -hmm. and the dreary life that the East Berliners were compelled to live. And then in 1968, during the Prague Spring, mm -hmm. when Czechoslovakia tried to declare its independence, from he Russia. snapped. Right, and he Russia. decided from that point on, communism was evil, and he would do everything he could to bring it down. Hmm. He was then transferred back to Russia and joined the KGB. The K he was extremely careful to make sure that neither his father nor anyone in the KGB had any idea of his long-term goal uh, or his feelings toward communism. Yes. Well, he was soon assigned to the... Um, Russian embassy in Copenhagen. And after he got there, he cleverly found a way to make contact with British Secret Service and offer his services as a spy, mm. which he did very successfully. Uh, he was returned to Russia routinely and sent back to Copenhagen a second time, reestablished contact. And when he was to return to Russia, he said to his contacts, uh, I may be out of touch for a long time, but I will do my best to get another me to get another posting in a foreign country. Mm -hmm. Well, when the posting came, it was the jackpot. It was London, mm -hmm. and he mm -hmm. was now assigned to the Russian embassy and therefore the you know the KGB's office in the capital of one of the principal opponents to the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And because of his ability to conceal who he was 
and his true feelings, he kept getting promoted. Damn. And with each promotion came access to higher and higher levels of Soviet security. <clears throat> he finally got to be number two. And when he got to be number two, he saved the world from World War III. This hmm. is a very little known fact, but the NATO countries had planned a uh, war exercise. And for a variety of mistaken reasons, Russians intelligence concluded this was just simply a cover for an actual first strike. What year? What year? What, what year, Phil? 1984 uh, or something? Yeah, this was this was in uh, the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's before Gorbachev, yep. just before Gorbachev, which is going to be important in a moment. So he alerts the British, and action is taken to calm the Russians down so that the missiles don't fly. That's how important it was that this guy was in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. He also is the first person to brief the West on the emergence of a new and promising leader in the Soviet Union named Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorby. And he sits down with his handlers and pretends to be Gorbachev in a mock uh, interview with Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> so he helps Margaret Thatcher. Who played her? realize who Gorbachev is and how to play him mm-hmm. before she actually met him. And you remember that very famous statement she made yep. after the first meeting, I can do business with this man. That was it. Well, it was Gordievsky who made that possible. Mm. Uh, he then is promoted to the top position at the London embassy, but there's something else and Mac and I were talking about this that now comes to cause him grief. And that is the KGB is not really all that effective. They have a lot of numbers and they have a frightening image, but by and large, their leaders in particular are envious, paranoid, and slovenly, like a lot of people as they go through life and get promotion. And the guy who <laughs> wow. was overlooked yes. for the promotion to number one at the Russian you know, embassy in London starts to notice a few things that he finds peculiar about Gordievsky's activities. And... All of a sudden, shortly after he becomes number one, Gordievsky is sent back to Moscow and brutally interrogated Mm. out of the clear blue. His family and children are trapped back in London, and that's part of the, you know, the the tool of blackmail that they're using. But he doesn't break. And so they put him on hiatus in Russia. However, the British, during the time that he was in London, had meticulously planned an escape for him if he was ever in this predicament. Mm -hmm. And the plan had to be triggered. I mean, you know, Gordievsky had a signal and they had a signal that the plan could be put into effect on a certain date. And lo and behold, it is. He manages to elude uh, those following him. Uh, He flees to a railroad station, takes a subway to another stop. The British pick him up and then the race is on to the Finnish border where he's hid in the trunk of the car, manages to get through three successive checkpoints and reaches safety. So in time, President Rose, uh, President Reagan even invites him uh, to the White House because of the quality of the information that, and the help that he gave during the Cold War. Uh, unfortunately for Gordievsky, the KGB and Putin were absolutely determined to kill this guy. Mm. And they almost poisoned him successfully in 2008, but he survived. Hmm. And um, uh, he lived for, well, he's still alive to this day. Wow, he beat it. Yeah. That's cool. At the age of 84. 
We're doing the uh, top 10 best spies in history since World War II, and we're up to number one now. Raven, you're right? Okay. Number one, uh, Juan Puyos Garcia. And his name was Gabo, right, Phil? Right. Juan Puyos, and he dropped Garcia over time, became known by his code name Garbo, which was bestowed upon him after he began working for British intelligence. Well, the reason why Mac and I uh, position him as number one is that more than any other person in World War II, he convinced the German high command that the Normandy invasion was just a diversion. And he did that successfully, not just for a day or a week, but for two months. Two months. And even, even after two months, he had an explanation for why he was not wrong. Mm -hmm. But this guy was a very um, pleasant-looking, innocuous Spaniard born into a business family who, during the Spanish Civil War, had the bad luck of having to serve under both the rival factions, the communists and the fascists under uh, Franco. And he came out of the war hating fascism and was determined to somehow rid it from his uh, native country. So to do that, when World War II began, he decided that he would offer his services as a spy. And first he went to the British embassy and they literally, literally, pardon me, he went to the German agency embassy and they were mildly amused, mildly interested, but ultimately said, no, you don't have experience. You will not make a good agent. Uh, thank you very much, but good night. He then presented himself at the British agency with the same proposition, I'll spy for you. They laughed him out of the front door. So still determined to make a career as a spy. He set himself up in Lisbon and concocted a money laundering plot allegedly involving British diplomats and informed the Germans. Well, the Germans were interested in this and they actually funded him. And he did pinpoint some suspicious characters, enough so that the Germans developed confidence in him and they suggested, why don't you move to England? and spy for us from within the, you know, the, the uh, capital. Well, German spies were having a hard time remaining free in London. And so Puyos decides he will tell the Germans he's in London, but actually he'll stay in Lisbon and concoct intelligence out of thin air. And to concoct the intelligence, he relies on books in the library, train table, timetables, newspaper articles, and he presents it convincingly to the Germans, and he always puts in embellished facts that the Germans think has to be real. Mm -hmm. He couldn't make this up. Well, then one day, by phenomenal coincidence, he announces a convoy leaving Liverpool that's uh, bound for Malta. My God, there is such a convoy. The Germans intercept it. They're convinced that he's real. However, they transmit information about this and the British pick it up. And the British now realize that somewhere there's a spy for the Germans who's very good. Well, when they find out by this point, Garbo has gone back to Madrid, turned himself into the American agency and pleaded with them to represent him to the British. They do that, the British make the connection. Ah, this is the guy who's so good. They bring him back to London, and for the remainder of the war, he 
regularly transmits information about Operation Fortitude, that's the fake invasion at Calais, mm -hmm. and builds up German confidence that it's the real invasion. And at the same time, he is creating this masterful network of imaginary spies all throughout England and uh, the United Kingdom. All made up. The Germans are actually funding him. They're giving him secret ink. They're giving him code books. He makes, Garbo makes sure that every now and then one of his spies has a tragedy. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he dies, maybe he has a divorce or whatnot. He, he plays the Germans and the English uh, intelligence service, MI5, guides him. But he is actually creating all of this with their, you know, with their supervision. And to make a long story short, at the end of the war, Hitler is, or after D-Day, I should say, Garbo finds a way to disappear and Hitler awards him the Iron Cross in absentia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mission accomplished. He's he's a he. His personal life was like very strange. How he got to fight on both sides in the Spanish Civil War and so on. How the Germans turned him down at first. He had a wife who was uh, kind of um, robust, and and she wasn't you know really happy about what he was doing and stuff. But he had this fantastic imagination, not just to create these people. Okay, this fake network. But as Phil said, you know, you're going to have tragedies in human life. You know, things are, things are going to happen. And he would tell the Germans this, and they fell for it completely. And D-Day was a success, a big success because of him. I mean, you know, just this yeah. this kind of chump from uh, Spain. You know, so weird things happen. And, and then the postscript is: after the war, he finds out that the Nazis who have survived are after him. They mm -hmm. want to kill him. Mm -hmm. So he fakes his own death in Angola, disappears reappears in Venezuela running a gift shop or something. Oh, and cool. then finally, the British find him many years later. They bring him to London where Prince Philip decorates him. Hmm. And then a few years later, he dies of natural causes. Wow, that's crazy, man. If there isn't a big, big movie about him, I'm surprised. So there you go. Top 10 greatest spies since World War II. That was super. Thank you, Phil. So what we're going to do now, we're going to take a break now. And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Macmillan's Miltrax. I'll show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. The whole gang is here, so please stay tuned. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed, the Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Hong's Hat, and the very mysterious M-Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with the forward by the very famous Juan Juan, on sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com.
back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show this has been tonight. No one one. Coco is here. Raven is here. X is here. Jim Frankel is here, super agent. And also uh, Phil O'Banes, who was the past president of Winning Moves. Make a lot of the games that you grew up with. They still make them, plus the Ouija board. Uh, so um, we just did a segment on the top 10 spies, but now we're going to talk to Raven. About we tried to have a creepy story every week, and this one uh, is creepy enough for me. So it's called Dear David. Is that right, Raven? Raven is here, and uh, also X. Yes, uh, that's correct. It's Dear David. Dear David. Um, this is actually a uh, a viral haunting that uh, went viral on Twitter, and this took place between 2017 and 2018 in New York City, and this focuses around writer and illustrator Adam Ellis. Um, and the first tweet that he wrote about this was, quote, so my apartment is currently being haunted by the ghost of a dead child and he's trying to kill me. Um, so that's where we're that's where we're at. So according to Ellis, uh, this all started out as a dream. Um, he did suffer from sleep paralysis uh, for most of his life, from what I'm understanding. Um, and he writes, quote, the first time I saw him, I was experiencing sleep paralysis and I saw a child sitting in the green rocking chair at the foot of my bed. Uh, he later adds, quote, he has a huge misshapen head that was dented on one side. I did my best to draw it. Um, and he refers to a drawing, uh, which I encourage you to look up. Um, if you type Dear David into your Google search, you can't miss it. It's exactly what it looks like. Um, the child got up from the chair and began shambling towards him. Uh, he was able to wake up before David reached him. So a few days after this initial dream, um, Ellis had another one. Um, he stated, quote, I had another dream a few nights later where I was in a library and a girl came up to me and said, you've seen dear David, haven't you? Ellis continues. Uh, I was like, who? And she said, dear David, you saw him. The girl told Ellis that David was dead and that he has specific rules to follow in order to engage with him. He only appears after midnight. And if you see him, you can ask him two questions as long as you say, dear David, first. Uh, and you are never, ever to ask him three questions. If you do, he will kill you. So in another dream Ellis had, uh, he asked uh, dear David some questions, trying to do some experiments. He said, quote, in the dream, I say, dear David, how did you die? He mumbles an accident in a store. I say, dear David, what happened in the store? He groans, a shelf was pushed on my head. Ellis goes on, quote, I'm frozen with fear. I ask, who pushed the shelf? David doesn't answer. I realize that I've asked a third question, which I'm not supposed to do. At that point, I wake up absolutely terrified. Ellis had asked three questions instead of stopping at two. But he was determined to get to the bottom of this, and he began searching uh, kids who may have died in stores in New York and kids who died by a crushing accident, um, just so he could kind of rule some things out. However, I don't think any of these searches ever came to anything. It was just something that he did, I think, as, as a Band-Aid almost to try to just rule out what was happening. So... Um, Ellis ends up moving um, to the apartment above him um, after the previous tenants vacated. Um, he stopped thinking about the little boy in his dreams because dear David actually stopped appearing to him um, until Ellis tweets, quote, but lately something strange is happening. 
For the past four nights, my cats gather at the front door at exactly midnight and just stare at it, almost like something is on the other side. Ellis is positive that when he peered through the peephole, he saw something move. He goes on to say, quote, and that's where I am right now. Dear David found me, I think. I don't know what to do. I'll keep you updated. The odd behavior from his cats, um, particularly Maxwell, um, continued. Uh, Ellis even recorded Maxwell sitting at the front door, um, just staring. He would kind of walk around and meow and sniff. And he uploaded, I mean, several of these videos, which we've discussed on the show many times where you can't really fake Mm -hmm. what animals are doing because, uh, I mean, especially a cat of all animals, they're not going to listen to you. They don't care. Right, right. Um, So that's very compelling to me. Um, so unsure of what to do, Ellis dead bolted his door, um, and he got into bed and he wrote, quote, I am pretty scared with a photo of his cat sitting at the door. Um, several nights passed, the cats continued the midnight ritual of sitting at the door. Um, and Ellis even drew a line of salt at the front door for protection. Um, as many people will know, salt is supposed to ward off harmful spirits, um, and demons, um, Ellis started using sound apps on his phone that would automatically record when sound was picked up um, and began taking Polaroids around his apartment. Uh, The sound app picked up some strange static and tapping and clicking noises, um, but the photos turned up the creep factor. Um, His fully lit hallway would not show up on film ever. Um, Instead, it would be completely pitch black. Um, one night Ellis dreamt that dear David was dragging him by the arm through an abandoned warehouse. Um, Ellis stated, quote, it was very creepy, but I didn't think much of it when I woke up. I took a shower and then I noticed something, uh, in a photo that he posted of his left arm, there is a visible bruise, uh, close to his wrist as if somebody had held him tightly enough to, uh, drag him and cause uh, a black and blue mark. Um, and all of this is on the, the World Wide Web. Um, mm. You can just type in Dear David and you can see all of it. Cool. Um, in preparation for an upcoming trip to, trip to Japan, uh, Ellis reports that he purchased a pet cam to keep an eye on his cats while he was away. Um, he, gives, he gives it a test run while he's out of town and the video catches something eerie. The green rocking chair, which was mentioned earlier, Uh, which he moved out of his bedroom and into his living room can be seen rocking back and forth Mm -mm. Um, along with that strange behavior. You can see, I don't remember if it's a glass or like a flower vase, but it's on his coffee table and it it like just starts to kind of move very slowly. Mm. Um, So, I mean, after that, it's, it's a pretty quiet week. He writes, quote, it's happening again. Uh, relying on the pet cam, he picks up strange behavior from his cats that goes on for hours. Objects around his apartment can be seen moving, and it's always focused on green objects, you'll come to find out. Um, but we're going to get back to that. That's in November, um, Ellis writes, quote, in the dream, I saw him in a chair again. I don't have the green chair in my room anymore. This time it was a recliner uh, I've had for years. He was staring at me just like the first time. Again, I felt paralyzed and I could barely move, but this time something was different. During this state of sleep paralysis, Ellis recalls that he was able to move his hands just enough to snap some photos, uh, and they are disturbing. Um, Dear David can be seen approaching him 
um, just like in his first dream. And he woke up as David began to crawl up his bed. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, Super. He just, yeah, he decided to search his apartment building, which is actually an old um, house that was converted into a duplex style um, apartment. Um, and I, I believe it was sectioned off into four apartments from what I read. So he found this hatch um, that was like way up on the ceiling um, from the landing of the stairs and the hatches up there, which most likely leads to an attic, which is how a lot of old houses are set up. Um, so he records himself using this long stick to push the hatch open um, and out falls an old child's shoe. Um, and he, at that point, involves his landlord who goes into the attic and looks around and finds nothing but a single misshapen green marble. Um, so things continue to escalate, uh, even when Ellis leaves the state for the holidays. Um, he's followed by something. Um, he goes to Montana and he uh, posts a picture of footsteps in the snow, child's footsteps. Um, it isn't crazy to think that, you know, he could be dealing with a possession um, because this follows him. Um, but for the next uh, month or so, his tweets become strange to the point where his followers didn't think that Adam Ellis was the one who even wrote them. Um, he uploads a video of Maxwell, his cat, behaving oddly um, by the front door again, but there's zero context to the video. And the video is shot from an unusually low angle, like as if he was on the ground, which is, is not normal for what he's previously uploaded. So shortly after this, it seems like Dear David, um, the Dear David saga abruptly stops. Ellis tweets that he was alive and doing well and his Twitter feed returned to normal. Um, so it's strange because you kind of have to um, like figure out at this point, was he spinning a yarn for six months or was he legitimately haunted or even possessed by this angry child spirit? Um, and again, this kind of brings in you have to figure in his cats that were both caught on camera multiple times acting strangely hmm. along with the uh, videos and um, photos that he took where you can clearly see this creepy, creepy child with a misshapen head sitting and staring at him, hmm. um, which again, I encourage everyone to uh, look it up. You, you can't miss it when you Google search it. Um, but, this is basically left to our own opinions. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that Dear David is currently being made into a movie. Um, oh, however, um, I, our listeners, I do, again, encourage you to look up the pictures and the videos associated with this haunting, specifically the ones with his cats. Mm -hmm. I just cannot get that out of my head that you... We talk about that. How do you train a, an animal to do right. that? You can't. See, that's the thing. is it, it's, it's, You cannot um, dismiss what animals do you know, in, in situations where it seems like something kind of paranormal is going on. I, once again, I'll just tell real quick the story. And aunt and uncle, you couldn't get more kind of comfortable middle class as them. They didn't believe in, you know, anything. They had a dog. And just one night, this dog who used to sleep at the, you know, the bottom of their bed just got up and started barking at something in the corner as if someone was in the corner. They couldn't see it, but it freaked them out because this dog had never done anything like this before. You know, what is he seeing that we can't? And cats are the same thing. Yeah. One one used to say, you know, his cat would, you know, walk into a room and and, and kind of uh, look as if there were three people there, but there was only two people there. Act as if there were three people there. Well, why would he be acting? You know, what what, what what's in it for the cat, you know? So, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, David. How does that make any no, sense? Um, but yeah, that's... Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
I was going to say in this particular case, I've actually followed this one along because it has an interesting slant to me because this is like a Twitter paranormal case. This guy is really quite engaged in the uh, the modern new media that's that's going on. So, you know, it threw a little suspicion when I first started tracking this. When I look at the images of, of the, the ghostly child figure, um, that's pretty convincing. But as you guys are focused in on, on the cats in particular, you'll never see, or very often, you will never see uh, animals uh, when they are staged for uh, movie and television production where they are looking, where you see them from the back or you see them uh, the way he photographed. Mm-hmm. They only have to have the trainer or something that's yeah, doing something just yep. off camera in a way so that you can get that. Raven, thank you for the dear David story. Yeah, oh, you're great. so welcome. And yeah, I would have to agree with what Coco said. Let's, thanks for creeping us out again. You're welcome. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. She hasn't been that happy all night. Well, well presented Raven. Thank you. Uh, we have, uh, <laughs> we have 10 minutes left. So what we got to do here real quick is, um, we have a contest going on, and um, what it was, we had people write in to have their name picked out of the Magic Fishbowl, five questions to ask Raven on air. She's already blushing, folks. So um, I'm not sure exactly how we got into this, but we are into it, and we had so many entries, so many Raven fans, that we actually have to pick three winners. So we have uh, all the uh, names in the Magic Fishbowl. Raven has the Magic Fishbowl, but once again, the Magic Fishbowl has been hacked. Probably by the Russians. So, we have to, <laughs> so any name that comes out of there, we have to kind of take with a grain of salt. So here we go. Here we, we're going to have three winners. They're going to come on the show, and they're going to be able to ask Raven five questions. Anything, right, Raven? No limits, correct, Raven? Uh, no, no limits. No limits. Um, okay. within reason. No limits within reason <laughs> means limits, but that's okay. They should be happy that they won. So uh, why don't you reach your hand into the magic fishbowl there? And pick out the, the first name. This is winner number three. Be coming on the show very soon and ask five questions of Raven with kind of no limits. All right. Number three, we have Sherry Hoey from Yukia, mm-hmm. California. All right. Okay. Let's give her a hand, please. Who's, of course, real sweet now? Sherry, out there in California. Or is that Yukia? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Almost. Okay. All right. Five questions from Sherry sometime in a future show. All right. Uh, next one we have is... The Egmosis Intolerant Adolescent. <laughs> that would be the Black Eyed Kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think Black Eyed Kid should be one of the He's hacked. Not, sorry. The fishbowl again. Okay. I don't want to answer any questions yeah, right. you from don't any Black Eyed Child. Well, right. Black Eyed Kid ate the fish before the, it went into the fishbowl anyway. So, right. Please, next uh, winner to the um, one of our three winners who asked Raven five questions on the air. No limits, kind of. Please, Raven. <laughs> Number two, we have. Doug Daniel, uh, hometown. Mm. Nope. No. Nope. Yep. Well, hometown Mars. Mars. He's on Mars. He got in touch with us on Mars. Okay. <laughs> Doug Daniels. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, those Martians, I can't imagine what kind of questions they'll come up with. But uh, reach once again into the magic fishbowl, Raven, and pick uh, right, the next one. The winner. next one we have Zeppelin, uh, the narcissistic pig riding in for Teddy the ballless horse. Okay, can you connect <laughs> those dots? I'm going to tell you right now, I want to put a sensor on their questions right from the start because since oh. Raven has visited here, there's been a lot of Raven discussion by those two. Oh, really? Yeah. Only Bear, only Bear has maintained the gentleman proper standards that That's we sick. expect here bear. at the farm. He's talking My about his animals. Okay. But I don't want to get into it, but you, that pig has an attitude, doesn't he? I remember when he was, could barely fit attitude the hand doesn't really ca- properly capture it Fact, you are you are on the right trail there, sir. Yeah, he has. A, yeah, yeah, he's a real tube. 
Just be slapped down that pick. So, Raven. Do we have uh, one more, I believe? Okay. She's reaching into the uh, magic fishbowl. Here we go. All right. I'm reaching in. Drum roll, please. Kim Shea of Edmonton, Canada. Oh, boy. Okay. Now, Kim is a uh, good friend of ours up there in Canada, but we might have to edit his five questions on him as I don't. I, don't I, I would like to have a, a, oh, well. a slightly drawn out process. Yeah, you know, as we, uh, as we, because you know he's got that Canadian bacon kind of thing he's got going that on there. If for those that are especially super fans in the audience, know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, those of us that have lived on the border state with our quiet, gentle neighbors to the north. Yep, he's a good guy, interesting guy, and it should be a funny segment. So anyway, let's. But we're run out of time. Can you just quickly tell? We'll talk about it next time you're on. But basically, the U.S. Navy came out. We don't want the show to be timely, but the U.S. Navy came right. out and said that. In nineteen in two thousand nineteen, off of California, there was like a swarm that like, you right. know, it was it was the second set of events back after the uh, the big release of of the uh, the tech and and really and, we only have like two minutes, but they they basically showed up over these navy warships that were out on some right. kind of maneuvers off of the coast of Southern California, and there was videos of them, and it, it really made kind of a big splash. Absolutely. No one knew what they were, but now the navy has has told us that they were not UFOs, but they were indeed drones, right? Well, one one small quick correction. Now the navy has kind of supportive the government has come out from the federal side and said these were not extraterrestrial these were definitely some kind of a uas unmanned aerial system that was flying over it um if you remember back when you and i were discussing it you and i were very doubtful that this was uh, alien technology the way it was going on um i take no pride in saying that going that this was probably some kind of a run or an exercise on it i think okay. there's some technology that has come out with swarming "Quote unquote drones yep. or UAS activity that this was a was a. All right, here's uh, the thing though. Uh, the other part that's really interesting and X, I'd love if X can get maybe ten seconds in on this answer is, when these things went up, sailors were actually taking pictures with their personal phones. Cell phones, sure. Uh, a lot of stuff went up on the web very very quickly after this occurred, and I am convinced that the part of that exercise that's, that's, that's just assessing and that. Area. I've flown a number of exercises Let's over the years. Yep. That is an area of a lot of UFO activities reported, yep. undersea surface uh, testing that goes on from the Point Magoo area all the way down to the southern part of the California where it meets Mexico. All right. So listen. I believe that there was a lot of information being crowdsourced when it hit the internet. Who was looking at it, where it was going, how that information was being right. Here's That's a question. Right. We literally have 30 seconds left. So look at So these were drones. They were the, and, and with drones operating a, you know far off the coast. And you know drones. Uh, I believe they were coming off a ship. Well, no oh, they're on a ship. Okay, so just real quick. Going out, I believe this was a swarm technology. Who? Who owned the ship? The CIA or the Chinese? Ten seconds. I'm going to say that I believe it was U.S. government that did it because really? they were not engaged. And using the Navy as their guinea pigs, basically. Absolutely, just okay. like the Tic Tac. All right. Well, good thing there wasn't the Army. So listen, now if Switch was here. He put up the graphic of the train coming into the station and, of course, crashing. So I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Let me thank Jim Frankel first. Jim, thank you. Super agent, literary agent down there in North Carolina someplace. Has thank some you, kind man. of uh, lefty uh, hat on. One of these days I really want to hear about Monica Witt. I really do. Monica? Well, there's another show. Is, is, okay. There's another that show. could be an entire show that I would stifled. It wouldn't be the first time. Interesting. Who's ever heard of Monica Witt? Wow. Okay. A lot of anger there, X, but I'm not surprised. Thank you, Jim, for joining us. We appreciate it. Go Mets. Until you start referring to her as Fatima Sahara, I don't, don't really want to Don't, don't. See, about that's inappropriate. Right. Phil O'Banes, our uh, headmaster, thank you very much. The Monopoly king of the world, right, Phil? Aren't you the expert on Monopoly? Well, 
I, yes, uh, I Phil, just to take the title, you are the king. Ten you seconds. are royalty when it comes to the tortured cardboard. You are royalty. Yes. He's the, tortured cardboard is my thing. Now, listen, I have not, <laughs> I've only, I've never played Monopoly that I can remember. Apparently, I played some game near a swimming pool somewhere, but I can't recall it. So you're the Monopoly king. I don't know how to mon play Monopoly. What if we played? What would happen? You'd win, right? You'd, you'd, you'd pounce me. Well, first of all, we need to have three or four players, oh, and I would give you the five best tips in advance don't to help it. you to make the right decisions. Interesting. You'd pick them up in no time. Huh, okay. And, and then he would destroy you. And, and, and then, then, yeah, right, then yeah. you'd wipe the floor. Set me you. up. And <laughs> then we'd have like triple mortgages on your hotels. I appreciate it. <laughs> they make you pay for it twice. Phil, thank you for joining us tonight, Phil, of... Uh, uh, winning pleasure. moves. I was delighted winning to moves. have the chance to to do the research for this, Mac. It yeah, was it's a, fun. It was exhilarating. These people were really they're they're really out. out of, you know, they're not normal people. That they would put the, their lives and just everything on the line. Not really. Someone did it for money, but some of them did for the oddest reasons. You know, some of them did it for love. You know, it, it was just it, they're interesting people, spies. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, X. Thank you, X. Thanks, X. And thanks for having me. I love hearing about all these spies. Me mm -hmm. too. <laughs> Uh, Raven, sorry. I'm sorry. I almost said sorry, honey. Sorry that this is the uh, part of the show that we have to say goodbye. Thank you very much. That's okay. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. I always learn so much when I come on. Thank you. For this was fun. Brightening up the show. We appreciate it. Coco, thank you. You also brightened up the show. As always, Mac, my pleasure. And huh? I know it's not the train, but we do have the man ejecting the you know, Martin Baker test aircraft out of the aircraft. Bum -bum. Uh, thank you, for everyone listening out there. If you want to bag a swag, just go to MacMillan.com, hit the contact button, send us your um, mailing address. And so this is uh, Mac for uh, the entire gang saying, to you hear us again, be safe, be happy, and bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>